0: restoration here I am uh, in the urban jungle Clear Creek uh, Greenbelt I tried to find a place that was fairly um, quiet they can hear the birds which is great well this morning I'm doing my second filming of this teaching so you're gonna see a video that has me wearing two different color shirts (laughs) maybe in some different places, but uh, I had to take quite a bit of time to try to get this right. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you learn something this morning. Well, this morning's passage is Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31. So as I read the scripture passage, I want you to try to put yourself in this story. Try to put yourself into one of the characters or, or as a bystander or something at least, try to put yourself in this scene and and see if you can take it in that way. Maybe it will help you to close your eyes and use your imagination to place yourself on the road somewhere when this is happening. Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31 as jesus started on his way a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him good teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life why do you call me good jesus answered no one is good except god alone you know the commandments you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal You shall not give false testimony you shall not defraud honor your father and mother teacher he declared all these i have kept since i was a boy jesus looked at him and loved him one thing you lack he said go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me then for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, first off, uh, Jesus is leaving on his way. Uh, The thing with Mark is that Jesus is always on his way. He's always going somewhere. He's moving boom, boom, boom. Immediately he does this, then he moves there, then he goes there. So Jesus is on his way, and that's one of the themes in Mark, is Jesus is a person that is going somewhere, that has a mission, that has uh, somewhere that he needs to be. And that's following the Father's will. And so he's on his way all the time. And and, and in fact, this is probably why uh, the early church, one of the first names for the early Christians or the early church was The Way. Uh, They weren't called Christians until later and they were called The Way. And it fits very well because Jesus says, I am the way. And Jesus says, I'm on the way to Jerusalem. I'm on my way to die. I'm going somewhere with a purpose. Next, uh, as he's on his way, a man runs up to him. And it's important to say that this starts out as just a man. This is not, uh, we don't know who this is yet. Uh, You probably know this story by the title of rich young ruler. But here in Mark, he just starts out with a man. Uh, And in Mark he is a rich man in uh, Luke he is a ruler and in Matthew he is young and so all of those go together to make the title rich young ruler but for Mark he's just a man at this point he starts out with good teacher um, and he asks the question what must I do to inherit eternal life it's important to note that this good teacher is kind of starting with a compliment and whether you think it or not uh it's 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 a sense in a sense it's a form of uh i think a subtle form of manipulation Uh, i remember when i was a pastor and often someone would come to the church for the first time and uh, i would give a sermon and they loved the sermon and they would come back and they say you know that was the best sermon I've heard, you're just such a great pastor. You're really, I really like you. And and inside my head, I'm thinking, all these compliments, you don't even know me yet. And you're complimenting me. And someday, you will be the opposite. And usually that was the case. Those people would come, they'd love the sermons, but at some point I would offend them. At some point I would say something they disagreed with. And then they were completely on the other side. Oh, you're the worst pastor. You're the worst preacher I can't believe you said that (laughs) so I think this is danger for Jesus and he's uh, so the young the man says good teacher and Jesus deflects it he says well why do you call me good no one's good but God and we could uh, study that and say well Jesus is actually saying that he's God here but uh, that I'm not going to get into that part of this passage and he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life it's interesting because we just had the passage about the children And it's children that inherit things. They inherit from their parents uh, all of the possessions and fields and houses that their parents have when their parents die or when they're older, they inherit. And so in some sense, he's coming as a child and he's saying, uh, he's kneeling and he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so Jesus, he asked Jesus this question, and Jesus often answers people with another question, but he doesn't do that in this case. And so he says to the man, well, you know the commandments, and then he goes over the commandments, not all 10. In fact, he doesn't go over the commandments that have to do with worshiping God. He goes over commandments that have to do with your relationship with other people, with men and women. And so he goes over the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, goes down the list. And all of these are in the Ten Commandments, except one. One, the one where he says, do not defraud. You shall not defraud. That actually isn't in the Ten Commandments. And so, and it's not in Matthew's version of this. It's not in Luke's version of this. So Why does does Mark include, do not defraud? And here's what I think. I I think that Mark is trying to establish that this guy, later on we find out that he's rich and has a lot of wealth, but I think Mark is trying to establish that this guy did not gain his wealth by evil means, by defrauding people, by taking money, by mishandling money, that this guy came by his money in good ways in ways that didn't hurt other people and so I think that's what Mark's trying to establish here so Jesus goes over this whole list of commandments and and says you know these are the commandments and so the guy the guy answers and says well I've kept all of these commandments since I was little a little boy and, and I think it's an amazing answer that this is a good person this guy is a good a good Jew at least in this in these commandments and so I've kept all these commandments since I was a little boy and um, this is where something interesting happens in the passage this is kind of the pivot I, I think the crux of, of this passage is uh, that Jesus, says that Jesus looked at him. And I think this is important that Mark emphasizes this because it's not just Jesus seeing him like he was close, his eyes were closed and now he's seeing him. No, he looked at him. He, he knew who he was. He recognized him for who he was. He looked at him. So Jesus looked at him and he says, and then it says and Jesus loved him. He loved him. And the word for love here is the Greek agape, unconditional love. Jesus loved him unconditionally. I think this is a fantastic passage because it doesn't say that Jesus loved people that much in the book of Mark. And this is an important part of what to set up what he's about to say. So Jesus loves the man unconditionally and then he says, go sell everything you have. Condition. Give it to the poor. Condition. Then come and follow me. Condition. So it's weird that uh, Jesus is loving him unconditionally, which we often think is you just accept people where they're at. You don't put any pressure. You don't judge people. You accept them. You, don't, you, you welcome them for who they are and where they're at. And that's good enough. And that's, a, that's unconditional love. But Jesus' unconditional love is a love that says, I love you so much that I'm going to ask something really hard of you because I love you dearly. And so then he asks something really hard. He says, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow me. And in the middle of it, he puts in the, inserts this little bonus that says, and you will have treasure in heaven. And I think Jesus really knows that that is of far more value than everything the man has now. In fact, that is of ultimate, value and uh, and Jesus knows that and I think some of us skip over this and often talk we make light of treasure in heaven but it's got to be far more valuable far more useful far more beneficial than any treasure here on earth I, I just seems like that's just logical uh, in in understanding. So then uh, after this it says the man's face fell. The man's face fell and all of a sudden it hits him. He's thinking I'm most of the way on the way to eternal life and I just need a little twitch I need a little twist and I don't know what it is and then Jesus gives him BAM this huge monumental thing give sell everything give it all away and come be with me and the man can't handle it he simply is struck by that his face falls and immediately he turns around and he walks away sad. He just walks away. He doesn't argue. He doesn't question more. He doesn't ask, well, what does that mean? He doesn't do any of that. He simply takes the uh, what Jesus says, Jesus' answer, becomes sad. The word sad there is like a storm uh, brooding at night. Uh, this storm starts Brooding darkness starts brooding in this man as he walks away. He he is He's grieved And he walks away from Jesus he turns his back on Jesus Then Jesus says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God And here's where this is a stunner. The disciples are amazed and actually the word can also be translated as scared or terrified. The disciples are terrified because they're like, wait a second, this guy's a good Jew, he keeps the law, he's wealthy. Which means in the Old Testament world, mostly most of the time someone who keeps the law and is wealthy means that God gave that wealth to them. They are blessed by God. And if this guy, who is the poster child for the good Jew, if he cannot make it into the kingdom of God, then then who can? Then there's no hope for any of us. And they say that. Well, then uh, later on they say, well then who can be saved? And so they are they are stunned. And yet at the same time. They're confirming the fact that Jesus is not using metaphors or analogies or word pictures. He's actually saying that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you need to release, let go, get rid of your riches. So Jesus said, that. and then to emphasize this, so they, they are stunned, they are scared and terrified, they're amazed. And to emphasize this, then Jesus says, okay, here's a picture for you. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is basically impossible. We all know that than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are even more amazed. They're even more amazed. It could also um, be translated as uh, overwhelmed. The disciples are overwhelmed by this saying. You know? Then that's when they say, well, then who can be saved? Who can be rescued? Then nobody can be saved. This is hopeless. Why why are we even here? This is harsh. This is heavy. This is, the disciples are reacting in ways that show us that Jesus is saying what we don't want him to say. Jesus is saying that the rich cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that you need to release and let go of all of your possessions, all of your goods. You need to turn them over to the poor in order to enter and follow him in order to enter the kingdom of God. And this is something we, it's hard for us too. We are overwhelmed. Uh, We're scared. We're terrified. Uh, We'll talk about that a little later in the sermon. Again, just going through These verses and then in verse 27 Jesus says well not every it's impossible with people it's impossible with us with human beings but it's not impossible for God and we'll talk about what that might mean for us as well and then Peter says well we left everything and followed you Jesus And then Jesus affirms his disciples. He's often saying, you guys don't get it. You don't understand. Uh, Have a little faith. But in this context, he is saying, good job. He's saying, if you left houses and brothers and sisters and children and mothers and fathers and fields, you left that for me and for the gospel, then you'll receive a hundred times that. And in the life to come, you will receive eternal life. And here's, we're coming back to eternal life. So we started with the question, eternal life. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God instead. The, the disciples are saying, well, then who can be saved? And then we come back at the end, Jesus says, and you'll have eternal life. So this is the road to eternal life. To lay down, to give up, to leave those things that we love the most, that we are precious to us. Okay, um, let's talk about the things that uh, keep us walking away from Jesus in this context. Uh, I think the first thing is that many of us don't think that we are the rich man, that we are rich. We think of Bill Gates, we think of Bezos, we think of Oprah, and those are the rich people. And so, in some sense, thinking of ourselves more as middle class and not rich is is a hazard here because if if you investigate a little bit, you find out that in terms of the world, someone like for for example someone who makes sixty thousand dollars a year is that puts you in the top one percent of the people of the people in in the world and um historically that's even greater you know we are the historically we are the the richest culture richest society that has been um There's some police around here looking for people. Anyway, uh, so I'm a little nervous. But uh, <laughs> they might think I'm a homeless guy and they'll come and snatch me up. But I think they're trying to get rid of the homeless sleeping in the green belt. It makes sense. They leave a lot of trash and stuff. But anyway, <laughs> where was I? Historically, we are really at the top of... Uh, the barrel when it comes to people that have a lot of things and so I think uh, we need to recognize that we are this rich man and what does that mean for us Okay, Uh, I think turning away and saying well I don't have to listen to this passage because I'm not this guy, I'm not rich because that will be a mistake for us because someday it will come back to haunt us I believe the second thing is that Many of us think that possessions and worldly wealth is uh, is a heart issue. And we have this tendency to separate the inside from the outside, the heart from the actions and the lifestyle and what we believe from how we actually act and live. And that's no good because scriptures are clear that it's a whole issue, it's a whole being issue it's flesh and blood heart mind soul body lifestyle everything and so to say that uh, well i'm <laughs> i my heart is not attached to my things i i'm i'm not possessed by my possessions and therefore god doesn't want me to give them away i just because i know that i'm good i'm separate from them so i can still have them that's really not a a good justification for the way you live Uh, because God is all about the heart and the lifestyle matching up together and and being one thing. So be careful of saying my heart is good so I don't have to make changes in my lifestyle. The third thing is that I think many of us in the evangelical church particularly have said, well, aren't we saved by grace alone? And therefore, that's what's important. And again, it's like the heart issue. If you only take part and you ignore the whole, then you're going down the wrong path, then you're turning your back on Jesus. The same thing with scripture. If you take part of the scriptures uh, salvation is by grace alone and you you plant your flag on that hill but you ignore the rest of scriptures in this passage where Jesus says uh, rich people cannot enter the kingdom of God if you don't take those together and realize that grace is more about the whole way of who we are and the whole way of who God is towards us And it involves sacrifice, it involves action. It doesn't mean sitting around waiting to get to that place where we're in heaven and then pull out the grace card. Here it is, God, you said grace, so uh, I know that you're gonna just not hold me accountable for anything I did on earth. (laughs) Well, that's not true. And I think you know that inside, I know that. But I think we still act as if That's how our life is going to be in the end. And so we don't make changes uh, in terms of possessions and riches and houses and and stuff. And we we don't take the downward path because it's all about grace. And I think that could come back as well to kick us in the butt if we don't uh, watch out. Third thing that I think causes us to walk away is that we just say this is completely impractical what Jesus is asking of this man is completely impractical in our day and age and uh, it won't work and maybe in some sense that's true on, on an individual level but if our churches and our society if we did this if we actually took this seriously and laid down our lives in this way, it would change our country overnight. It would transform this world. But I think we are afraid to be the first ones to do it. I'm not doing it alone. I gotta, I'm waiting for someone else to do this. And uh, so we say it's impractical. And the church has said this for many, many years, many centuries. This has been a big uh Even like Tolstoy writes about this in Russia and says, you know, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount and all of these difficult sayings of Jesus. And he said, people, if they would just do what Jesus says, the world would be transformed and changed. And that's back uh, in the 1800s in Russia. (laughs) This has always been an issue. It was an issue in Jesus' time. It's an issue now. The uh, fourth thing that I think keeps us walking away and turning our back toward Jesus in terms of riches and our possessions is, uh, I guess the fifth thing is that uh, we think that tithing is what we should do. We think that tithing is the important thing I'm tithing, therefore I'm doing my part. And this is very dangerous as well because Jesus confronts the Pharisees and they tithe everything. They tithe their garden plants. I'm sure you don't do that. And they tithe everything and Jesus is confronting them and saying, you know, you tithe, but you forget about the weightier parts of the law. You forget about justice. You forget about mercy. Those are the big parts of the story. And this is the little part of the story. And so he says, don't stop tithing, but form your life around justice and mercy. And I think that for us means a lot of changes, lifestyle-wise, possessions-wise, work-wise. That means a lot of changes. Uh, We just assume that the way everybody lives is the way we're gonna live. But that's not what Jesus is asking. He's asking for disciples who are willing to turn back toward him and follow him. And he has taken this downward path because Paul says, Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that we might become rich in spiritual wealth. So Jesus gave up his riches to become poor. And Paul is saying this to the Corinthians because he wants them to follow Jesus' example. Lay down your stuff. Give to those in need. Care for those who are downtrodden. And come follow Jesus. And so I think that's really important for us to identify. We may tithe, but there's a whole... 90% more that really is screaming out for us to to address and pay attention to how do we live our lives. Finally, uh, I think a lot of, uh, I've heard this a lot and and we're a young church and we have young families and a lot of people have kids. They say, well, I have kids and a family and how am I supposed to do this? This would be ridiculous with a family. And I, I think, the kids, like we talked about last week, the kids already kind of got this down. Uh, let's let them lead us in this. I think a lot of us create an attachment in our kids to worldly things, to possessions and, and, and to stuff and to toys because we, we create this discontentment in our children and then they become like us but if we were to watch them and become more like them, I think this would lead us to back toward Jesus, back toward the kingdom. It would help us to enter the kingdom. As Jesus says, uh, you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom. The same thing in this area. You can enter the kingdom when you let go of all the things that we as adults think think we need, and we don't. Okay, um, I came up with an illustration to show you the effect of riches uh, in your life. This illustration I do it in my backyard. It talks about riches and entering the kingdom of God. I hope you like it. It was, it was a good illustration for me. Once uh, I did it, I, I, it made me see things a little more clearly. Here you go. <laughs> so I have these two pictures filled with water, and the water represents the kingdom of God. And um, the pictures could represent your life. Let's just say they represent your life, and the water represents the kingdom of God. So both these lives have the kingdom of God available in them. And uh, and then I have this picture here, which is full of olive oil. And this is going to represent riches possessions, worldly wealth, all of those things that uh, are involved in this story. And we're gonna add that to one of these lives. Gonna add olive oil to one of these lives, okay? So this is going to be the life that I add riches to. Okay, did plenty of it, nice car and house and lots of toys and added them to this. So now you have the riches in the kingdom of God versus just the kingdom of God. And um, I've got these little people's heads that I've cut out and you can see that one. (laughs) And so I'm going to add this little person's head to the kingdom of God. Let's see if I can put it on the surface there and show you that it's in there. And okay, so that person is in the kingdom of God. And then I'm going to take another little head here. Little smiley face. And I'm going to put that one in the life with the riches and the kingdom of God. Okay, and I'm going to show you that that's in there they're both smiling and happy one's in the kingdom of god one's in the riches plus the kingdom of god okay so now um they're both on the surface but uh i'm gonna push i'm gonna push a little bit on this one with my finger here and notice that it goes to the bottom he's sinking to the bottom he's fully Involved completely immersed in the kingdom of God and he's happily sailing Down 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 and you can see him down there. Okay And But then here we have the guy in the oil i'm going to push down on the guy Oily face i'm gonna put him down in here in the kingdom so he can hang out in there and then I'm going to Let him go And look what happens. Look at, he's coming and he floats right back up to the oil. And he can't, he can't, he's, yep, he's totally getting back into the oil. So he can't really enjoy the kingdom of God. Because he's saturated with the riches. And so the riches have choked out his ability to immerse himself in the things of the kingdom and follow Jesus in that way. And the only way for this guy to be like this guy, see him down there, smiley, is uh, to get rid of the oil and to take the oil away. And if he doesn't get rid of the oil, then he no, in the end, they're no longer a smiley face guy, but a sad face guy in there. And so that's the kingdom of God and riches. You can only have one or the other you can't have both because one interrupts the other so then you look at me you say hey dan this is great but this is just frustrating what 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 should we do we can't none of us are going to go out and sell all our stuff and give it to the poor tomorrow none of us and i know that i i i in in some sense i'm preaching this sermon thinking no one's going to do this. No one's going to hear this. I don't know. It's going to go nowhere. There, it feels hopeless to me too. But maybe I can make a few suggestions that would be helpful in turning your ship around and, and sailing back the other way. So we'll see. Um, and I think most of you know that I've been trying to do this in my life. So it's not as if I'm asking you to do something I'm not doing. I'm very much... Uh, divesting myself of my material life and moving more in that direction and trying to listen to what Jesus is calling me to in that. Well, one thing is, first off, just recognize that you're rich. Don't justify it. Don't say, I'm not part of that group. I don't have to deal with those things. I don't have to listen. I am wealthy. I am uh a wealthy person a rich person in this world that's first step and turning around in that is basically the word repentance means turn around change the way you think think about yourself as a rich person it's scary <laughs> it's very scary but that's the first step second step would be um, I would suggest that you do a thorough study of the New Testament in terms of what the New Testament says about riches and worldly wealth. You've got James, you've got John, you've got Paul, you've got Peter, uh, you've got Jesus. All of the Gospels talk about this uh, unanimously that riches are, are not helpful. In fact, they can choke us as Jesus says, riches choke you. Uh, They can distract us from the real work of the kingdom. They can keep us from loving others. Uh, They can cause us to hoard up in a time when uh, in the last days, as James says, there's all kinds of passages. So my second suggestion is that you do a study of this in the New Testament. And really take some time and think about that and what you'll find another thing that you'll probably find in your study I don't want to prejudice you but is that riches have been transformed in the New Testament that now riches are are all the things of God riches of grace riches of forgiveness riches of God's compassion on us uh, the riches of of the Holy Spirit as a down payment for our inheritance there's so much about Wealth in the terms of godly wealth, which is all about God's work, God's way, uh, God's person. I think that you'll find. The third thing that I suggest is that you sit down with your family or, or with yourself and you make uh, a long range plan to go this direction. Sure, most of us won't turn around overnight, sell all our stuff, right? But a lot of us can turn around and stop um, increasing our wealth and start decreasing our worldly wealth. Start moving in the direction toward Jesus rather than away from Jesus. And uh, there's lots of ways to do that and there's lots of places to start. But I think if you... Make a long-range plan. Maybe put it before someone and say, hey, here's my long-range plan. I want to start divesting. I want to start giving up. I want to start being having more a more just and merciful lifestyle. Uh, so I want to simplify. Please help me do this. Give me some suggestions. You know, there's lots of books out there. Um, well, there's some books out there. And use your creativity. I think one of the things that that saddens me most about the church and Christianity today is that we are not creative that uh, we don't look at the world and say how can I do this in another way like take uh, uh, retirement for example we, we save up our money and we s- set it aside for retirement and we try to get enough to have a comfortable lifestyle when we retire but we don't we don't look at that creatively and say, how could that be changed? How can I put that money into to older people now and create a community to where when I'm older, they take care of me and, and we take care of each other rather than me having to take care of myself. How do we creatively create uh, look at that? How do we create a community where that's possible? Um, those are our three suggestions. Um, One more uh, would be just take opportunities to give. Start giving, don't be afraid. Start taking those opportunities, start looking for opportunities to give away. Find ways to funnel uh, your stuff or your wealth towards people that really need it Um, I was talking with Alan from Sunica this week about Nicaragua and there's still communities in this day and age that do not have clean water that do not have the ability uh, to live the life that we take for granted Um, and and so there's still communities that are drinking dirty water that are vulnerable to sickness and um, long-term health issues and uh, kids not having the nutri- uh, the ability to grow up and learn and be in the world like like we are. Let me close us in prayer. God, thank you for all your good gifts to us. Please, God, free us from our attachments to... our lifestyles, our stuff, our bank accounts, our insurances, our securities, our entertainments, our protections, our comforts. Lord, we have so much of that. Help us to turn around, to repent, to start walking toward you, Jesus. and Lord, help me to understand this better and forgive me where I do not understand this and where I'm teaching this in a bad way. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.